Well, I am so thankful that Robin Haley came and led with us this morning. Give the band a hand this morning. Thank you so much for leading us into God's presence. Um, and I am so glad to be back. Howdy. Oh, come on, come on. And it has been a great weekend. Who's loving the weather? Oh, finally, fall is upon it. What, some hisses? It's like 65 and beautiful, okay? So, study outside. That is the application point uh, from today. No, just kidding. Hey, if you have a Bible, get to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. And if this is your first time, my name is Kevin Barr. I'm the college pastor here at Grace Southwood, and I am so glad you have joined us this morning. Uh, the flow for this morning is that we're going to learn from God's Word. We're going to look at Romans chapter 3. Uh, and then after this, we're going to get an opportunity to have table discussion. Um, just outside of this, there's some table uh, leaders uh, right around you guys, and, uh, and they would love to develop relationships with you guys and, uh, and, and help you walk with Jesus in college. That is why they are here. So Romans chapter 3 is we're going to be. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21, it says this. But now, not before, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present, righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is the one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we overthrow the law? By this faith, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I, I just thank you that I can, I can be back um, and open up the word of God with these students and, uh, and learn from you. And, and Lord, I, we're going to look at justification. You know, Lord, the, and it is a big topic. It is a big idea to be justified, to be right in your sight. And Lord, the truth is we are not right in your sight. We need to receive justification. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, as we study this section of scripture, you would help us to see how we are made right in your sight through the precious work of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would be people that don't look to justify ourselves, but we instead would receive the justification that you give through your son. We're asking something big. We're asking something that only you can do by the power of your spirit. So please, Lord, come. Open our hearts to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, the holidays are coming up. That's why I love the cold weather. Uh, in one month, you will be going back for Thanksgiving. Uh, so you're going to have 
Halloween here pretty soon, so you're going to be carving pumpkins and celebrating uh, Reformation Day, uh, Martin Luther. So most of you should be dressing up as Martin Luther, carry around your 95 theses. That'll be fun on Halloween. If you don't know what I'm talking about, ask a friend later on. Um, And then soon after that is going to be Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is one of those fun moments when you get to go home, you get to interact with your family. And the best part about Thanksgiving, I don't know about your Thanksgiving, this is my best part of my Thanksgiving, is the arguments you get to engage in at home. Because someone has an opinion and someone likes to defend their opinion a lot. And so I have one of those at my house. My, uh, my three-year-old, or at the time, he was three years old, uh, and his name was Jesse. Now Jesse's six. But when he was three years old, uh, he and my brother-in-law, Rob, got into an argument. And they got into a, like an all-out brawl. He was three, Rob was like 40, and, uh, <laughs> and they got into this argument, and they were looking at a, a book um, that had sea life, all sorts of fish and sea life. And, and there was one particular picture in the book of a particular animal that, that could be debated as to what it is. My son called it a swordfish. Rob said it was a marlin. A swordfish looks pretty much like a marlin. Now, when Tyler comes back, he'll correct me because he's an avid fisherman, but they pretty much look the same. They both got a fin on top. They both got a long nose. And if you look at a swordfish and you look at a marlin, it is very difficult to tell them apart, especially when you're three. (laughs) And so they would look at the picture and Jesse would go, that is a swordfish. And Rob would go, it is a marlin. And Jesse would say, no, it is a swordfish. No, it is a marlin. And he would come get me. Daddy, this is a swordfish. I'm like, it looks like a swordfish to me. And he goes, see? And then Rob goes, it's a marlin. <laughs> and Rob at that time happened to be wearing a shirt with a marlin like insignia on the fishing shirt that he was wearing. He's like, it's just like that. It's a marlin. To which Jesse said, No. It is a swordfish. I will prove it to you. Look, it's a swordfish, right? So when you're three, that's the level of argumentation that you have. And each one of these people was trying to justify themselves, like trying to defend what they believed. And they got into this absolutely silly argument over what was right and what wasn't. And it was so funny to watch them. And so for a while, Rob's nickname for Jesse was Marlin. (laughs) Third time seeing, just like, hey, Marlon, and it just be like, swordfish, yeah, it just stuck with them. And, and I, t- I tell you what, the reason I start there is this because we all the time want to justify ourselves. We want to justify our beliefs, our thoughts, what we say, and we get into these silly little arguments, and we do it in little small ways. I mean, when you don't go to, when you don't show up where you should, you're like, hey, I'm sorry I didn't show up, but I texted. You know, like, like justify. I wasn't there. I didn't follow through my commitment, but hey, I texted. Hey, I didn't go to class. But I read the notes that you took, you know, and that, so, and we kind of like justify the fact that we missed class and like, like, no, I don't want to date you, but you smell nice, right? So like we, we justify that in that moment, right? And you're like, oh, too close to home, right? So, in all of these little ways, like we seek to be seen right in the sight of others. We do. We seek to justify ourselves, to be seen right in the sight of of others. That is what justification means. And all of us in 
in different ways and at different levels, we seek to justify ourselves. Some of it's in small ways. It's in these little silly arguments, but sometimes in much bigger ways. For some of us, it's in success. And we want to be, feel that we are right by our achievement. Some of us, we've been victimized. And we want to be seen as right because we were wronged. Some of us are rule followers. You follow every rule and you, you, you prove you're right by doing right. For others of you, you're perfectionists. And you approve your right by being in control. And you're a fun person to be around, right? Like, clean it now. Be perfect, you know? And all of these paths we pursue so that we are seen in that we are right. And the truth is this. We long, we long, we want to be declared right. We want to be right. And what we're really seeking is is what the Bible calls righteousness. To be seen right in the sight of God. The Greek word is um, diakoo. It's to cause someone to be in proper or right relationship with someone, to put right with, to cause to be in right relationship. And some scholars even interpret this to, to mean following a forensic righteousness, meaning like a judge would declare someone in the right. Like we want to be right, a legal declared right in every one of our moments. We long to, for someone to say, yes, you are in the right. And the Bible says, yeah, there's a, there's a term for that. It's called righteousness. Justification, that's the same word that's translated two different ways in English, but it's the same root word that, that we want to be seen and declared right. We long for this. And there's really two avenues that we want, we long for rightness in. One is our relationship with God. We want actually God to declare us that we are right from on high. We want to be seen as right. And we, even if we don't believe in God, there's a desire that some higher authority declares us as in the right. And also, we want to be right with others. We want other people we interact with to see our opinions, see our side, and actually declare us to be right. And that's why a lot of us have silly little arguments or silly little justifications. Or some of us have really deep drives because we want to be seen as right in the sight of someone or something. And into that context... Ben Pinkerton spoke last night and said, look, all of us are under sin. And there is a way to be declared right. And there's only one. And this is where Paul continues his argument to say, how is it that someone is declared right? And he says this in verse 21. He says, there's only one way to be truly right. He describes, really, we're going to look at five things that justification from God gives us. Five ways that you can be declared right, truly right, in the sight of God. And the first is this, that all justification is external. All rightness has to come from the outside. It can't merely be from the inside. And he says this in this text, But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. He says this, there is an external righteousness that you can receive. And he's speaking largely to, uh, to Jewish but also a Gentile population. He says, there is a law that we're supposed to be under. And it's called the Mosaic Law. 
In the Old Testament, Moses uh, rescued the people out of slavery in Egypt. God used Moses to rescue them, and he took them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, he gave them the Ten Commandments written on stone. But beyond that, lots of commandments, lots of things that the nation was supposed to do. Several laws they were supposed to obey. Those, they were moral laws, ceremonial laws, and um, nationalistic laws. Some laws were there for morality. How do you treat one another? There were uh, civil laws. Here's, here's what you're supposed to do in, in order to establish a, a government and a system of rulership as a nation. But there was also ceremonial laws. Hey, when you do what's wrong, here's what you do to be in the right. And so it was a sacrificial system to put them in right relationship with God. And what Paul is saying is that was good. It was fine. But there's something better that has come. There is a rightness you can receive that's external from you that comes from God. And it has been revealed. It's been manifested. Literally, the light has come on to show us how we can have an external rightness that comes from God alone. And listen, you need this. If you don't have an external rightness, you will try to justify yourself. We're going to talk about that in a second. But I'll tell you what, your relationships need this. I read an article, um, and it said this, Self-justification is killing your relationships by Jaden Hayward. It says this, Whatever the scenario, the thought spiral is self-justification at work, compelled by a fundamental need to view ourselves as the good guys, and we will twist facts little by little until we convince ourselves that we did the right thing. So here's some examples. Surely, sure, you said some awful things to your spouse, but they started it. Yes, you were gossiping about someone in the office, but they did the same thing last month. Okay, you probably shouldn't have yelled at that customer, but they were being rude and demanding. Whatever our actions, we will always find a way to justify our behavior. And he says, think about the last time you got into a silly argument and tried to defend yourself. Even if you knew you were wrong, you tried to convince the other person that you were somehow right. Some of you have this friend. I have this friend. Why is that? Because it's impossible to justify yourself. We need someone outside of us to say, you are right or you are all right. All of us do. And it's so funny in our culture, we try to justify ourselves all the time, but we actually need someone else to say, no, you are right. You are in the right. And some of it's in your relationships. And some of you are killing your relationships because you, you have to be right all the time. Some of you, it's in your success. You're chasing success, and what your desire is, is for that achievement to give you validation, that accomplishment to give you value and, and see that you are all right. There's a movie years ago, years and years ago, called uh, Chariots of Fire, and it's the story of, of some runners, and so this movie is very close to my heart, right? And there's two particular runners, and one of the runners was a guy named Harold Abrams, and Harold Abrams says this in the movie. You, Aubrey, are the most complete man. You're brave, compassionate, kind, content man. That is your secret, contentment. I have never known it. I am forever in pursuit, and I don't even know what I am chasing. And now, in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down the corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. 
but will I? Isn't that tragic? This Olympic sprinter at the peak performance, he says, I've got a long corridor, these two lines, and a four foot wide, and I've got ten lonely seconds to justify my life. And it's terrifyingly uh, insightful. For some of you, it's I've got four years to justify my time at A&M. Hopefully I can get a job or a spouse, and that will then justify my existence, right? And that's success, however you've defined it. So for all of us, there's something for, for success that has become, for some of us, that big thing that we're chasing. We're saying, will something from the outside declare me right? And God says, I have. And it's apart from the law. It's apart from any rules that God has set up or any rules that you set up in your own life to declare you right. Apart from any law, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's manifested. I will give you the righteousness. And it comes apart from the law through faith in Jesus Christ. It comes through a person. There is an external righteousness that we receive. And for some of us, we need to receive this righteousness so that we stop trying to prove ourselves. So we stop trying to win every argument or stop trying to prove ourselves in the sight of others. There is a rightness where you can say, I am right. God has declared that I am right. How do I get it? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. The first part is is external from us. But secondly, it levels us. It levels us. Romans 3.22 says it this way. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. What he's saying is this. That sin levels all of us. It makes us all on the same level. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning that we have not made the standard. All of us are in the same spot under sin. We are level because of our sin. And what we all long for is a rescuer. We long for someone to rescue us from the fact that we are lower than what we need to be. And every Disney movie knows this. Every Disney movie knows this. So what's the rescuer of Snow White? This prince, right? Once that prince comes in, he will rescue me. What's the hero of of Sleeping Beauty? It's Aurora. She's the most... No, it's Prince Philip. Like, he's going to save her. He's going to rescue her. Who's the hero in How to Train Your Dragon? Got to go back, people. Got to go back. It's not really the dragon, it's Hiccup. It's this lonely guy who rescues his people and makes all these people happy with dragons. Like, it can happen, right? Harry Potter. Simple question, people. Who's the hero in Harry Potter? Harry Potter, right? Someone that will rise and save us from ourselves. We long because we feel that we are not in the right and we need someone to come in and save us. But here's what's really interesting. In our modern culture, even though all of our movies show like some hero rising to save everyone, every one of our movies says says this, there's another uh, push from our culture and it's this. That the only saving you really need is self-saving. And so we see it in a lot of our uh, football interviews, our sports interviews. So the football player plays the game, 
does well, maybe, and they come afterward and they give these interviews. And they're like, what made you so successful? And they stick the mic in his face. And what does that person say? I worked hard and I believed in myself. And they're like, yes! So we're talking about you believed in you and that's why you won, right? Like that's, that's the vernacular. That's what they're saying. You believed in you and you did it. My wife and I watched America's Got Talent. It's over. But we watched it. And every judge on the stand says the same thing over and over again. They say this, what you need to do is just believe in yourself. Just believe in you and you can overcome. Our culture pushes you to have self-confidence to the extreme. What they're saying is, all you need to do is believe in you and then everything will be all right. And that's the cultural push. The movie pushes, you need a rescuer. The cultural pushes, you can save you. And here's the tragedy about being a self-rescuer. If you succeed, you have no one to thank but yourself. And if you fail, you have no one to blame but yourself. And that is a weight you were never meant to carry. Because if you win, you're all alone. And if you lose, you're all alone. And that's not winning. (laughs) Neither of those help us win. What we need, what we long for, is someone to rescue us, to, to bring us into right relationship. And God says, yes, that's what I've sent. I've sent a redeemer. You are redeemed through Jesus Christ. He is the rescuer. In the Old Testament, there was a a term called the kinsman redeemer. It's the word goel in Hebrew. And what would happen is in that culture, there are some times that um, a husband of a wife would die and she would be left without children. And in that culture at that time, a husband uh, provided financial stability and kids provided social security, their future. And if a woman was left without a husband to provide or children to care for her, she was left destitute and abandoned. She was going to be all alone. So God, in that scenario, said, okay, I'm going to put in what's called a kinsman redeemer, a goel. Someone who had the responsibility to provide financially for the wife of his brother. So oftentimes, it would be two brothers, and they would both have their own wives. And if this brother died and left no kids, he would step in to help this woman and to provide for her. He was called a goel, a kinsman redeemer, a near relative who would provide for someone in distress. And the Bible picks up that term and says, yes, that's what Jesus does. He is near to us, meaning he became man like us, and he stepped in to save us. He redeems us. We are justified as a gift. We are put in right relationship with the world and with one another. We are safe because the Redeemer has stepped in. And we don't earn this gift, and you can't repay the gift. A destitute woman could never earn the gift of the money that that man would give to her, nor could she ever repay it in that culture. She needed to simply receive. And you and I are a lot like destitute people that needs a redeemer to step in for us to save us from ourselves to put us in a right relationship with god okay so it's external from us it's it levels us we are all in the same playing ground we don't we can't save ourselves from our own situation we can't do that but kevin how does it work 
Well, how it works is this. It satisfies. And enables us to stop hurting or avenging ourselves. Here's what it says in Romans 3. Romans 3.25 says this. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be both just and justifier of the one who has faith, Christ Jesus. He says this, the reason this is so necessary is it because it satisfies the wrath of God. The word propitiation means, means this, to, to satisfy, to satisfy the wrath of God. And as soon as I say that, okay, God's angry, that doesn't make sense. Like how could, why is God angry? Why does he need something to satisfy his wrath? Well, in the Old Testament, there was a picture of this. There's a picture of when the people sinned, they would sacrifice an animal, and the high priest would walk in once a year, walk into the Holy of Holies, and sprinkle blood on, on the, the Ark of the Covenant that held the Ten Commandments. And as he would sprinkle the blood, he would be confessing the sins of the people that they had committed. And they know that the blood would cover the sins for that year. And so there was this picture that they had in their mind as of blood covering sin. And it was built into the culture. And he even goes on to say this, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So God's wrath would pass over and not be poured out on the people. And you're like, okay, I still can't get over that. In our culture, like God being angry, that just I don't like that idea. But here's the truth. You carry wrath all the time. You do. We all do. Give you an example. If you were to invite me over to your house and say, hey, come on over, Kevin, and, and come hang out with us, and you happen to have a dog, and the dog is there, and I go, I don't like that dog, and I kick it. Yeah. Immediately, like the response, the visceral, like, oh, Kevin, why would you do that? And if I was to then say to you, what are you worried about? I didn't kick you. What would you say to me? You're an evil, evil human being. You're wrong, right? Because what happens is when we sin, it creates a barrier and it creates a debt. And you would say something to me at that moment, Kevin, you owe me and my puppy an apology, right? And if I refused, if I'm like, whatever, and I kind of left, you'd be like, I'm going to pay him back. I'm going to go kick his dog. You know, like you would, you would be like, there's something wrong in the world. And, and you would like hold that rage against me. Like you would be like, that is just wrong, right? And it's also true even at, at other levels, right? I mean, if, if you were to come over to my house, you're coming to my house. And you're playing like outside with my kids, and then uh, you're like, hey, Kevin, I was playing with your kids, and like, hey, um, one of them is just like really stupid. Like, I, <laughs> like, Kevin, you're cool, but your kids are just, just dumb. Like, I don't, I don't even, I don't even like them. I, that would hurt me. And you could be like, well, Kevin, I like you, I just hate your kids. You, I'd be like, that's just weird. Like, need to teach you some social skills and to show like like that just doesn't make sense like they're they're a part of me and to say that you like me yet hate my kids something that's of me that would just be odd right and the thing is true in our relationship with God 
All the time we say, okay, I love God, but God, I just hate your people. I love you. I just don't like anything that you've made. Here's what God says. Hey, Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Psalm 50, verse 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds and the mountains and the wild beasts on the field are mine. If you were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine in all of its fullness. Everything belongs to God. Job 41, 11. Who has preceded me that I should pay him back? Everything under heaven is mine. Ezekiel 18.4. Behold, all souls are mine. The souls of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die because they're his. He has authority over them. And Psalm 82.88 says this. Arise, O God, judge the earth for you shall inherit all the nations. He's saying this. God, you own everything. Everything, everything is yours. And when we hurt the things that God loves, that hurts God. He is emotionally affected by it. And here's what God does. is that It says that he, he holds, he passed over sins committed. He withheld wrath. He was angry because of all the sins that humanity has done throughout history. And he withheld that wrath. And then at one moment in time, he poured forth the fullness of his wrath on Jesus Christ on the cross. An innocent man. He poured forth his full wrath on Jesus Christ so that he would take the punishment that everyone deserves. And that fully satisfied the wrath of God. And tell you what, it should satisfy your wrath. It should satisfy your wrath. It satisfies the wrath of God and it should satisfy yours. Because every sin that's been committed against you is also a sin committed against God. Every wrong that's been done to you has also a wrong that's been done against God. Every pain that you feel has also been committed against God. And so we as a human race have not done what is right. And God said, yeah, there needs to be something just done. And some of you have like this deep, visceral pain that you carry. And you're just like, I'm just mad. I'm bitter. I'm angry that that someone would be allowed to do this. And I don't want to minimize what wrong was done against you. It was wrong. And God says, yes, it was wrong, and someone has to pay. Either the person eternally, or my son eternally, has paid the debt for him. Either either that person pays eternally for the wrong that they have done, or they receive eternal forgiveness from God. See, here's the thing about debt. If you were to threaten my life, you're like, Kevin, I'm going to kill you because I didn't like your sermon. No, fair enough. Um, I could put a restraining order against you, right? And I could be like, hey, that wasn't nice. And maybe the cops would investigate that sort of thing. But if I threatened to kill the president, it wouldn't be just a little restraining order. There would be a lot more that comes at me, right? 
as rightfully it should, because with the increase of the importance of the person increases the, uh, the response to that offense. It increases. God is infinitely above us. He is holy, he is righteous, he is good, he is infinitely above us. And the only thing that can satisfy the, the breadth or the height of how far he is above us is an eternal sacrifice that comes in Jesus Christ. And so we can hold wrath. But listen, you will never punish anyone as much as Jesus was punished for you or for them. And if that rock sinks deep, you can actually have the, the tools to forgive there's a book um, called The Hiding Place. And there was a, there's a woman who was um, taken by in the Nazi concentration camp. And her sister died in the process of being in that Nazi concentration camp. And at one moment, she began preaching about the goodness of the, after everything had transpired and she had been uh, saved from, from that situation. Uh, she began preaching the gospel in several different moments. And in one of those moments, there was a man who came up and immediately she recognized that man as a guard who had been responsible for killing her sister. And that man walks up to her and says, um, Fraulein, because they're German, Fraulein, um, You spoke so beautifully about the forgiveness of God. I've recently become a Christian, and I've received the forgiveness of God. And I don't know if you, he didn't recognize her, but he's like, I I know that I had wronged many, many people, and I'm so sorry, but I'd like to hear the forgiveness from you. And she says in that moment, she, she could not move. She did not want to raise her hand to shake his hand. She was absolutely hurt and wounded. She recognized this man as the one who had had been responsible for killing her sister. And so she's like, I will not forgive him. And she stood, stood there in this moment. She reflected on a truth that she'd seen. She says this, those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars Those who had nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. You can hold your wrath, but it will not help you. We can hold our bitterness, but we will never be free. We receive propitiation. We have wronged God, and so we need forgiveness for ourselves. But let me tell you what. The people we hold bitterness against, wrath against, they have also can receive the forgiveness of God. I'm going to push this one level further. I know for me in college, um, it was one of the first times I began dealing personally with some of the failures of my parents. My parents are amazing people. I absolutely love them. But they are not perfect. For some of you here, this is probably the first time you're actually really dealing with some of the failures of your parents. And let me tell you what true forgiveness looks like. You forgive them for what they didn't do that they should have done. And you forgive them for never being able to do what they should have done. Not only do you forgive them for what they did not do, you forgive them because they could never do what they should have done. You can't go back to be five years old and dad being at your baseball game. You can't redo that. 
You can't go back to whatever was missing in your life and have them fix it. It cannot happen. And some of you are rightfully wounded because of the sins of your family. True propitiation means not only has God poured out all the wrongs of the world onto Jesus Christ, he extends forgiveness to the world. That's where propitiation drops to the next level. I forgive people for what they could never be, what they could never give. It's huge. And what that does, if we rightly understand it, it humbles us. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No. By law of faith. For we uphold that no one is justified for the one who is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We don't brag. Salvation is like this. It's like one beggar telling another beggar where to find water. So we are humbled because we need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that comes to us that, that we did not deserve, but we so desperately need. And then lastly, it unites us. It enables us to embrace others. Romans 3.29 says this way. Or is, it God, is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Have you ever been part of a community that is truly humble? Have you been part of that community? Where, where each person doesn't hold to their own rights and think that they deserve um, the acclaim or the recognition, but willingly give acclaim and recognition to everyone else? Have you ever been part of that team? Have you ever been part of that organization? Maybe that job that, that no person in the organization feels superior, but, but they humbly receive their position and, and they're able to reach out and, and care for others. There is something incredibly uniting about that. See, we are all level under sin. We need external righteousness, and it comes through the person of Jesus Christ. We are all the same level, and I'll tell you what, that propitiation, that wrath satisfies God, and it should satisfy us. It should humble us. I'll tell you what it also does. It unites us. It means that every person that you see is a person that needs a Savior, is a person that needs grace is a person that needs the work of Jesus Christ, both both to forgive them and enable them to forgive others. So how do you receive this justification? It's simple. There's one word that's repeated over and over and over again through this entire section, and it's this faith. I want to define faith for you. It is not belief without evidence, and it is not belief in spite of evidence. Sometimes you hear faith, and it's just like, it's like a leap into the, into the unknown. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to jump. And, and that's not actually biblical faith. Biblical faith means this. I've looked at the alternatives. And I've looked at the sure person of Jesus Christ. And I find Jesus Christ to be worthy of trust. Faith is trust in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for us. And this is what Paul found. It's not a righteousness that's of his own. It's a righteousness he's received from the person of Jesus Christ. And when you receive his 
rightness. When you put your faith in him, you are in right relationship with God, and it enables us to be in right relationship with others. Have you put your faith wholly and solely in Jesus' redeeming work? And have you let his redeeming work not only forgive you, but enable you to forgive others? That's true justification. Because what God is trying to do is not merely save you, the individual, but move beyond that. That we would be united in faith under God. Humble, unified, satisfied, level, and externally right in his sight. Have you received Jesus? And are you letting him enable you to extend forgiveness to others. Pray for us. Lord, thank you that you lived a perfect life that we could never live and that you died in our place for our sins. And even beyond that, you died that we might be in right relationship with you and right relationship with others. And Lord, I don't know where each person is this morning. Some of us are trying to prove that we are right in the sight of our peers. And so we're pushing so hard to prove our rightness. Some of us are nursing bitterness or frustration against people that have wronged us and and it's it's not, it's not bringing freedom. It's bringing further slavery. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever, wherever we are this morning, you would help us to receive forgiveness that puts us in a right relationship with you. And by the power of the work of Jesus Christ, you would enable us to forgive others that we might be free. We love you. I lift up these two to see you. It's in your holy name we pray.